as you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. We just introduced reduced mid-season pricing. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use code SHARP25 for 25% off any product site-wide at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal, flying solo again this week with you going through some week six action. But as always, we want to start out each week looking back on the previous week to see if there's anything we learned from last week's action that maybe can be actionable moving forward. And this week, I want to pick up a little bit with a conversation that I briefly brought up last week when we talked about the Bills and Chiefs matchup. So I liked the Bills in that matchup, and a big part of that conversation was about the Chiefs defense. Seeing how things went last week, I'm just gaining more confidence in that. The Chiefs defense is kind of a mess. Like I said in last week's podcast, I don't think the Chiefs are going to have easy wins with you know maybe a couple exceptions. I know the Giants are coming up on the schedule. Maybe that's an easy win. Maybe this week against Washington, they're a touchdown favorite. So, you know, I don't know that this is a game this week where I'm going to bet against the Chiefs because Washington is having defensive issues of their own. That's why I'm bringing this up right at the beginning of the pod, because it may not be something we immediately act on this week. But moving forward, I think fading the Chiefs based on this just dreadful defense, I think is something that could be a profitable, uh, at least, you know, in the near future. Maybe if it continues to be a massive issue, you know, the general public adjusts right along with us and it loses value, but I just want to throw out a couple numbers. The big issue is really their inability to stop the run right now. They're allowing 10 or more yards on 15% of rushing attempts. That's a third worst rate in the league. They're also allowing at least three yards before contact on 35% of rushing on rush attempts. That's what they're also the third worst rate in the league. They just can't stop anybody on the ground right now. And that's a big red flag because if you're game planning for the Chiefs, what do you want to do? You want to run the ball and control the clock and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. And right now, I think any competent offense is going to be able to do that. And so if teams are able to control the ball on the ground, limit possessions for Mahomes, you know, it, it just increases your chances of at the minimum keeping the game close. Now, the Chiefs, are I think they're still in great position to make the playoffs because in any close game, you got to like Patrick Mahomes' chances of pulling out at the end. But I don't think they're going to get a lot of easy wins like they had last year at this point, because I just don't think that they're going to be able to run up the score on teams, you know, unless, you know, they're able to just lock into some turnovers maybe because it just doesn't look like their defense is capable of stopping teams. I think teams are, for the most part, opposing offenses are going to be able to execute their game plan of, you know, just pounding the ball on the ground and controlling the game that way. You know, I think we've seen enough of a sample size now from them that this is a legitimate red flag and it's, tough to see a way for them to quickly fix it right now so you know as I said they're a touchdown favorite against Washington which is having a lot of defensive issues themselves they've been that's been one of the most disappointing units in the league on either side of the ball so maybe this isn't a situation where we immediately follow up and bet against the Chiefs again but it's it's certainly something that I'll look at on a weekly basis I'll take a close look at the matchup for the Chiefs and strongly consider uh, fading them over the next over the next few weeks, at least until they prove us wrong, until that defense proves that they can stop somebody. So, you know, let's keep things in the AFC West as we look forward to uh, week six in the NFL. And we'll start out with Raiders Broncos. 
interesting game. Obviously, all eyes are on the Raiders right now for all off-field situations. We'll we'll leave that alone. And I will preface this by saying that you know, anytime there's a coaching change, even though in this case it was not for on-field issues, uh, t- teams are going to change what they do a little bit. When somebody else you know now gains power, you know they're going to put their own stamp on the offense and a little bit. You know things are going to look a little bit differently. And it is fair to say that Gruden had, you know, is for all the issues that they've had on and off the field since Gruden got there, you know, they've been the butt of a lot of jokes for their team building strategies and whatnot. The, the one thing that I can say Gruden did have a positive effect on with the Raiders was being aggressive on offense. So there's, we should have, you know, some hesitancy in trusting that that continues. Um, but because much of the offensive coaching staff has stayed the same, under Gruden's tenure there, I think we can we can still have a reasonable amount of confidence that not too much changes. So I'm still approaching the Raiders this week as if this is the same team, even though Gruden is no longer there. I'm going to assume that, you know, they still have the same offensive game plan, that they're still fairly aggressive. But, you know, if you want to downgrade your confidence in that, you know, anytime there's a coaching change, certainly, you know, reasonable to have some doubts that things stay the same. So the the, the bet that I like, it's a prop bet for this situation. And it's the Derek Carr over 264 and a half passing yards. I think this is a really good situation. He's gone under his passing yards each of the past two weeks. So maybe we're getting a slight discount on his yardage here since they've been slowed a little bit in recent weeks. But I like this matchup. It's, it's for a couple of reasons. As I mentioned, this is a pretty aggressive offense. And Derek Carr has specifically been very aggressive against the blitz this season. When Carr is blitzed, he's throwing at least 15 yards downfield 37% of the time. That's among the most aggressive rates in the league. And when on those throws, 15 or more yards downfield against the blitz, he's completing 58% of those passes. That's the best rate in the league. That's a very high number. He probably can't sustain that level of success for an extended period of time. But the fact that he's taking shots downfield against the blitz and having success doing it, I think it shows that you know, he has a lot of confidence this year in his receivers to win those matchups downfield. You know, if you're getting a blitz, it certainly increases the chances that you're finding a one-on-one matchup somewhere out there. Carr seems to be having some confidence that he can find his guys. And obviously he has a few guys that can stretch the field a bit. So, you know, he seems to be taking advantage of that. And I think that they can do that against Denver, partially just because Denver blitzes a lot. They have the fourth highest blitz rate this season at 33%. So it's likely that they'll try to bring pressure on Carr and he'll be able to find some of those matchups downfield, possibly turning in a few big plays, which makes hitting the over much easier. I also think that Denver has a reputation right now for being one of the stronger defenses in the league. We certainly expected them to have a good unit, especially a good secondary this year. And for the most part, it has appeared to be that case. But I'm not sure they're as dominant as they've looked at times this year, or as some of the numbers show, because when you look at the quarterbacks they've faced, you know, it, it certainly raises some questions as to whether these numbers are going to uh, maintain going forward for the Denver defense. They started their year with a three-game stretch of Daniel Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson. It doesn't really get any easier than that, especially getting the rookies so early in their career. Those three quarterbacks combined to start the year against the Blitz against Denver, six of 22 passing, completing 27% of their passes against the Blitz. So Denver just had their way with those guys. Now, the past two weeks, 
two weeks ago, they got Lamar Jackson, who against Denver's blitz was 12 of 24 for 182 yards. So Denver continued blitzing at a high rate, actually blitzed Jackson at an even higher rate than they did some of those rookies early on in the season. And Jackson really had no problem. Now, last week against Ben Roethlisberger, the blitz rate dropped a little bit, but Roethlisberger still completed four of eight passes against the blitz. So you know, the more experienced quarterbacks don't seem to be having a, any issues picking apart Denver's defense when they blitz a little bit. And, you know, I, I think it's another really telling stat here is that uh, it seems like teams aren't really scared to throw downfield against Denver, even though we think that that secondary is very talented. Uh, teams are averaging eight throws per game against Denver at 15 or more yards downfield. That's the eighth highest rate in the league. So teams are not shy about taking shots downfield against Denver. Derek Carr is not shy about taking shots downfield, especially against the blitz. It seems like all of this kind of lines up for Carr to have a, you know, a, a lot a successful day throwing downfield against this Denver defense. And, you know, if he connects on a few deep balls, as I said, you know, the 264 and a half passing yards, you know, if he completes a few deep balls, the odds of hitting the over on that go up dramatically, especially if this uh, stays a pretty close game. Denver's actually favored in this game by three and a half points. So there's certainly a possibility that Carr is in a pass friendly game script throughout the game, especially in the second half. So I, I really like Carr's chances of bouncing back, having a good, uh, putting up a good number in the passing yards this week. Now let's go on to, uh, Cardinals Browns, one of the bigger matchups this week, really interesting line in this game. The Browns are favored by three points, which surprised me. Um, at least it, it surprised me as far as that, that line being posted early in the week, because the Browns have been dealing with quite a few injuries. Um, they've had just a slew of guys uh, missing practice or at least doing partial practices early in the week. Now it sounds like quite a bit of that. I know Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb were two of the guys who, were limited practice. It sounds like a lot of that is just maintenance load, but you know, Jack Conklin was banged up last week. Jedrick Wills, their left tackle missed last week. You know, if they're potentially down uh, missing some offensive linemen again, that's, that's certainly a red flag for this offense, given how much we know they like to rely on the run game. Uh, and then also the, the big one that I want to talk about is Jade Van Clowney. He missed last week with an elbow injury, or I'm sorry, he missed last week with a knee injury it was a little bit surprising to hear that because he had been nursing an elbow injury. So he's got multiple issues going on. He has been held out of practice earlier this week. He did not practice on Wednesday, which is the most recent update we've heard. So it remains to be seen whether or not he's out. So I'm leaning Cardinals money line in this game because the Browns are favored. And I think the Browns are going to be struggling with these injuries and I'm going to wait to place that bet, however, because I want more information on Clowney because I'll get to some numbers in a second here. I think he's a really critical part of the Browns defense based on what we've seen this year and specifically how the Browns match up with Kyler Murray. I think they need Clowney on the field to pull out a victory in this game. So we're going to, I'm going to hold off on placing that bet, but yeah, I'll get into some numbers now as to why I potentially like that if Clowney's unable to go. Or even if we hear that maybe he's going to try to go, but you know he's less than 100%, maybe we still like the Cardinals throwing out some numbers here. It's, it's really all about the fact that the Browns don't like to blitz and they've had a lot of success when they're not blitzing, which is a huge advantage. We've talked about that in other matchups this season. If you can get pressure with only four pass rushers, it's a huge advantage for your defense. And the Browns have had success that way entering week five. So entering last week, you know, the first four weeks when they had a healthy clowny, 
although he's not on the field, you know, hundred percent of the time when he, when he is, when he was healthy in those games, the Browns had a 39.5 pressure rate when they did not blitz that led the league. So basically 40% of the time when they're not bringing extra pressure, they're still getting to the quarterback. That's a huge advantage. Last week against the chargers, their pressure rate on non blitzes was 17.5%, a massive drop off. And you know, I think we have to assume that a big part of that was the fact that they missed Clowney because when we look at the whole season, when Clowney was on the field, they brought off, they've gotten pressure without the blitz 46% of the time. When Clowney is not on the field, they have gotten pressure without the blitz 18% of the time. That includes the game where Clowney was healthy, but in the snaps when he was just simply off the field. That's, that's a really concerning difference that Clowney can't suit up in this game. Because the Browns, they don't like to blitz. They've they've only blitzed 19% of the time this season. That ranks 25th. If they can't get pressure on Kyler Murray without the blitz, I think that's going to be a problem. Now, defenses, they typically don't like to blitz Murray. I think, you know, we can kind of guess that maybe a lot of that has to do with his running ability. If you bring pressure immediately and he immediately rolls out of the pocket, you know, I think a lot of you know, opposing defensive coordinators feel like they would probably rather him stay in the pocket throughout the field as opposed to bringing extra pressure, potentially forcing him out of the pocket right off the bat. He's only been blitzed 19% of the time out of 36 qualified quarterbacks that ranks 31st. So we've seen this pretty consistently. Teams like to avoid blitzing him. And when you don't bring, when you don't bring a blitz against Murray, whether or not you're able to get pressure with just those four pass rushers has been really critical to your success as a defense. I'll throw out some more numbers here. When Murray is pressured without a blitz, he's averaging 3.2 adjusted net yards per attempt. We've talked about this stat in the podcast in the past, basically takes yardage, but it also factors in sacks, turnovers, touchdowns to try to, you know, get what your overall value is per drop back on a yards per attempt basis. So without the blitz, when pressured without the blitz, 3.2 adjusted net yards per attempt. When he's not pressured without the blitz, 8.1 adjusted net yards per attempt. So Murray, if you can't, if you don't blitz and you don't get pressure on him, Murray's going to pick you apart. If you don't blitz and you are still able to get pressure on him, Murray suddenly becomes very beatable. That 3.2 yards per attempt is not great. So if Clowney's healthy, maybe the Browns can you know, drop back in coverage and still get pressure with their four pass rushers and cause some problems for this Cardinals offense. But if Clowney's not out there, based on what we saw last week, based on what we've seen from snaps when Clowney's not out on the field earlier this year, it seems like the Cardinals, you know, might just be able to have their way with this Browns defense and pick them apart, just like Justin Herbert did last week. So this is, you know, I'm approaching this game as a wait and see based on Clowney's health over the next couple of days. Um, but if we do find out that he's unable to go, and this could be a last minute situation as it was with his absence last week, you know, so keep an eye on that right leading up to kickoff. If he's not able to go, I like the Cardinals money line. I think the Cardinals defense or the Cardinals offense is going to pick apart this defense, just like the Chargers did last week. Let's go to another uh, uh, big division, a big division game here. Packers at Bears. Packers are favored by 4.5 points in this one. I don't have a strong lean in this game as far as against the spread or money line or anything, but there's a prop that I want to get to in a minute, but I also wanted to just revisit last week's conversation where we talked about Justin Fields and how uh, offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor 
He took over the play calling duties two weeks ago. So we've seen two weeks of him. We talked about some of the changes that he made after one week, but I said I wanted to revisit it because, you know, you know, the game plan changes from week to week, you know, regardless of who's calling the plays. So we wanted to make sure that some of those changes that we saw were legitimately Bill Lazor's imprint on the offense and not just about their matchup in that first game that he was calling plays against the Detroit Lions. Last week, they handled the Raiders pretty well, and we saw some significant uh, – we, we saw those changes that Lazor showed us in that first game continue. The big thing that I talked about was removing RPOs, taking that off-field's plate the run pass option plays in the field's first start with Matt Nagy calling plays 30% of their offense was RPOs. And as we talked about last week, I won't go through all the numbers again, but it, you know, if you want to hear a little bit more conversation, you know, check out last week's podcast because we got into a lot of the numbers, including some of the numbers from college, but basically to summarize it up fields didn't do a lot of RPO stuff in college and he was bad at it. He had negative EPA and RPO situations college. In his first start against the Browns, he at 30% of the offense was RPOs and predictably Fields was not very good at it. That's a lot to put on the plate of a young quarterback asking him to make those types of decisions in the run pass option. And then also, you know, if it turns into the pass option of the play, you're asking him to make the decision that you're asking him to make the RPO decision and then drop back and then make a pass decision too. So that's a lot to put on the plate of a young quarterback, especially a guy who didn't do a lot of it in college and didn't have success with it in college. I'm not sure why you would ask him to do that. Pretty bad coaching decision by Nagy. If you ask me, Bill Lazor seems to agree because last week, 5% or two weeks ago, Bill Lazor's first game calling plays 5% of the offense was RPOs last week against the Raiders, zero RPOs. So Bill Lazor has basically said, it seems like he has said, I've seen enough. <laughs> We're just going to take this off your plate right now. Now it could pop up again. Obviously Nagy wants it to be a part of the offense and thinks it can be successful. And, you know, I, Fields is a, certainly a talented quarterback. I don't have any long-term doubts about Fields. So that we could see that creep back in, but I, I just think it's good coaching to take that off his plate. You know, I think Laser deserves a lot of credit for simplifying things for Fields in the early going, going back to some of the stuff that he did more often in college and did well in college and just making this offense more simplistic for him. Now, if they, you know, fall behind big in a game, you know, maybe they start to have to ask Fields to do a little bit more just to try to play catch up. But as long as they're in close games, as long as they're playing with a lead, you know, I think we see laser continue to just keep things really simplistic for him. So I think that this is a really encouraging sign. It seems like laser has the right approach for calling plays for a team with a rookie quarterback who's still learning the mental side of the game, because that's where fields is right now. You know, I brought it up a couple of times on the podcast this year. You know, he looked really bad at times in some games against Indiana and Northwestern. And if those defenses are confusing you, NFL defenses will confuse you also. So the offensive coordinator's job is to simplify things for fields and laser has done that. So I'm definitely gaining confidence in betting on the bears this season, especially, um, you know, you know, maybe if they get hot and field starts to improve, maybe, you know, the market adjusts a little bit, but it hasn't yet. So I, this week is tough. I am kind of leaning bears. As I said, Packers are favored by four and a half kind of leaning bears. Uh, that's not one. I have not placed that bet. I might 
might consider think about that more as we get up to game time. But one bet that I, I know I like in this game is Aaron Rodgers under 259 and a half passing yards. Now, Rodgers, obviously, this is a pass first offense. They trust him. They like to throw the ball. He's gone under his passing yards prop in four or five games this year. And I don't think the market has really adjusted. Now, as I said, this is a pass first offense. So it's a little bit surprising, but they play slow. Actually, this has been a very slow offense. And when the game is within one score, the Packers are running a play once every 31.6 seconds. That's the fifth slowest pace in the league. Now the bears are also slow, which I think is why I have a lot of confidence this week. Cause if we've got, we've got both offenses that are trying to slow the game down. And, you know, as I said, laser is trying to simplify things for Justin Fields. And one of the ways he seems to be doing that is to slow down the offense even more because since Fields has taken over as the starter in these three games, the bears are running a play once every 34.2 seconds when the game's within one score. That's the slowest pace in the league by almost a second over these last three weeks. So it seems to be a very deliberate decision by the bears to slow down the offense, slow things down, keep things simple for fields. And you combine that with the fact that the Packers seem to be going very slow as well. I, I, th- I definitely think this could be uh, a fairly low scoring game. And I think Rogers probably doesn't need to have a huge passing volume in this game. We could certainly see a situation where the Packers play, you know, mo- the majority of the second half of the lead, which, you know, would probably slow the game down further for them. And, uh, you know, maybe we just we just don't see a big passing volume for either team in this game because obviously the Bears want to keep things simple and slow for fields. Packers are kind of doing the same thing. So again, it's somewhat surprising, but we've seen enough of the sample size now. It's I think we can say that this is uh, probably going to continue to be a fairly slow-paced offense, and you know, Rodgers keeps hitting the under, and the market doesn't seem to have adjusted. The line has been pretty consistent for him this season. So I like the Aaron Rodgers under. Uh, 259 and a half passing yards against the Bears. Uh, consider the under for this game overall, but as I said, that's the under and the Bears against the spread are two things that I'll you know maybe keep an eye on, see what happens with those lines uh, as we get a little closer to game time. Let's go now talk about Bills at Titans. This is an interesting game. Obviously, the Bills are red hot. Uh, Titans hoping to bounce back with a nice upset here. This would certainly be a big win for them if they could pull off an upset. Bills are favored by five and a half in this game. I I don't, as I said on last week's pod, the Bills right now, the way they're playing, especially the way they're playing offense, they're kind of, I'm treating them similar to how I've treated Patrick Mahomes in the past. And I just don't really want to bet against them. I, I don't really know that I want to bet on them this week though, because I just have a little bit of doubt that they're, run defense can stop the Titans. So I could, I can definitely see a situation where the Titans keep this game close and it's a tight game in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, who knows what happens down the stretch. So this is probably a stay away game for me, but I wanted to bring up the game because uh, there is a prop bet that I really like. And it's the Manuel Sanders over on his receiving yards. Now this line has not been posted, but Sanders, his receiving yards line has, uh, it hasn't gotten too high. It actually peaked last week against the Chiefs at 53 and a half yards. And because that was expected to be a potential shootout, I think we can probably assume that that might actually go down a little bit. You know, that was obviously expected to be a high passing volume game for both teams. You know, the Titans, given the way they run the ball and can play a little bit slower at times, you know, I think it would 
we could certainly see that line drop. But if it's any, if it's anywhere in that range, even if it's a little bit higher than 53, I like the over for Emmanuel Sanders. And you know, I'll get into some numbers here to really demonstrate why this is a great matchup for him. You know, Sanders has really emerged somewhat surprisingly emerged as a go-to downfield weapon for the bills. Obviously he's played in the slot a lot over his career. Um, so, you know, he's he, in certain offenses that he's played in, he's seen a lot of like shorter targets, but he's a speedster. He can stretch the field and that's how the bills are using him right now. Um, he's seen, he actually leads the team in targets 15 or more yards downfield. That's a little bit surprising given how, uh, Stefan Diggs has really shined in that role for them, but you know, possibly because Diggs draws a little extra attention. Maybe this, you know, Josh Allen has found it a little bit easier to find Sanders down the field, and they've had a lot of success doing that. And the, the number that really stood out to me, though, even more than the, his downfield attempts, is that 52% of Emmanuel Sanders' targets have come at least three seconds into the play. That's the highest rate in the league by a good margin. This number, this number comes from True Media and Pro Football Focus. I think it's a really fascinating number to see that when Josh Allen holds the ball, he really seems to be looking for Emmanuel Sanders, and that's how Sanders is getting his targets this season. And this is a great matchup against the Titans defense that doesn't get a ton of pressure. 30% of throws against the Titans have been after three or more seconds. And on those throws, when, when the quarterback – holds the ball for at least three seconds. The Titans have only pressured him on 46% of those. That's the eighth worst rate in the league. Now, if you hold the ball for three or more seconds, pressure rates are pretty high. So that 46% might sound high, but you know, typically quarterbacks that hold the ball that long are quarterbacks like Josh Allen, who are comfortable holding the ball, almost inviting a little bit of extra pressure because they know that they can escape. So Allen holds the ball for three or more seconds at the fourth highest rate. He's not afraid to hold the ball and invite a little bit of extra pressure. And when he does hold the ball longer, Sanders is his go-to guy this season. He's really finding Sanders downfield a lot. As I said, 52% of Sanders targets have come in those situations where the play lasts for three or more seconds. So I think we should expect to see increased usage for Sanders. And, you know, because those, because that increased usage is likely going to be on throws downfield, you know, expecting him to go over 50 ish yards in this game. It's pretty easy to do. You know, that could be three catches downfield where Sanders could go over that number fairly easily. So I, I think Sanders could, could potentially just fly past that number because it looks like this is going to be a situation where Allen's going to be able to be comfortable in the pocket, hold the ball on like, like he likes to do and take some shots downfield and hit Sanders. So just a real, that's one of my, that's probably my most confident bet this week. I think they should have a, a very easy time getting Sanders a few extra targets. And now let's move on to the Thursday night game. Obviously, I like to wrap up with this every week since we uh, release the pod on Thursdays. We've got, you know, another mediocre game. At least we've got a good team involved this week in the Bucks. Bucks are favored by a touchdown at the Eagles. I, I really don't have a strong take on this game as far as the line. You know, a, a touchdown, that, that's obviously – a tough spread, especially on the road. But, you know, the Eagles are in a really tough situation with their offensive line right now. And so the bet that I'm going to place that I've already placed is the under on Miles Sanders rushing yards at 34 and a half. Now that's a really low number, but the Eagles have basically abandoned the running game. It has a lot to do with issues they've had on the offensive line, which really date back to the start of last season. According to True Media, They've had 30 different offensive line combinations since the start of 2020. 
that that's just an incredible amount of bad luck. I mean, you've really got to feel bad for Miles Sanders. You know, he, he's gotten off to such a slow start this year, obviously had some issues last year as well. And, you know, when you're running behind all these different offensive line combinations, you know, it's, it's not really his fault. It's going to be tough for anybody to have success in those situations. But, you know, the reason I'm still going under, even though the line is low, obviously, you know, the issues that they've had are well-documented, you know, that that's certainly, you know, baked into that line already, but I think we could see them drop their running run game usage even further in this game based on the fact that Dallas Goddard is out due to COVID or likely out, I should say. I don't believe that that's been made official yet, that he's not expected to play. You know, they've obviously had a lot of issues on the run game. They're going to be without Lane Johnson again due to a personal issue. Uh, he's still not suiting up for them. That obviously affects their ability to run the ball consistently. But Dallas Goddard actually plays a significant role in the run game as well. So far this season, when Goddard is on the field, they run the ball 42% of the time. The Eagles are not a run-heavy team. That's a a high rate. So when he's on the field, they're obviously much more comfortable running the ball in that situation. When he's off the field, they're only running the ball 28% of the time. Now, in this game, they're also going up against the Bucs, and the Bucs, no one is really having success running the ball against Tampa right now. A big reason for that is that their defensive line is just wreaking so much havoc in the backfield. Running backs against the Bucs have been contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 63% of their carries. That's, a, that's the second highest rate in the league. And that's specifically going to cause issues for the Eagles because Eagles running backs, when they're contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, they rank dead last in the league, averaging 0.4 yards per carry. You know, getting contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage, that's that's not devastating for every running backs, the bigger, more physical running backs, you know, the Nick Chubbs, Derek Henry's of the league, you know, they're often still picking up two or so yards per carry when they're contacted just because they're often, you know, plowing forward and, you know, picking up some of that yards after contact. That's not the strength of this Eagles team. It's not Miles Sanders strengths. So the Eagles, as I said, 0.4 yards per attempt when they're contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage. And the Bucs are one of the most difficult teams to clear clear running lanes against. So with a really inexperienced offensive line, the, the starting unit that they're likely putting out there will only be their second game playing together. This is just a really bad situation. And, you know, we saw the Eagles earlier in this year. We've seen some times where they've just avoided the run altogether. You know, Sanders had a game earlier this year where he had only two carries. I think we could potentially be seeing one of those situations where Sanders has, you know, just like, you know, maybe two to five carries for 20 yards or something like that. I just, I don't, unless the game script for this game just, you know, is totally flipped on its head and we're shocked by the Eagles playing with the second half lead. I don't see a scenario where Sanders is getting, you know, 12 to 15 touches, which would allow him to get over again, get the over on this Bucks defense. So, you know, that 34 and a half, that's a really low number. I think that's going to scare a lot of people away from playing it, but I like the under. I just don't think the volume is going to be there for him this week. So that, I think that's the play tonight. That's that's the the way to go. Expect the Bucks to control this game from start to finish. Expect a really uh, high passing volume from Jalen Hurts and uh, just not a whole lot of action for Miles Sanders in the run game. So that wraps things up for us this week. Uh, be sure to join us next week on Thursday. We'll go over all the week seven games, reflect on this week. Uh, enjoy the week ahead. Thank <laughs> you.